0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Mission Impossible show with Coach MJ.
1: Are you ready? We search
0: the globe for the most amazing people who have overcome incredible obstacles, demonstrated amazing resilience, and done the impossible.
1: I said, are you ready? Me the real-life heroes of Mission Impossible from around the world be inspired, be motivated. Join, Join the, the real Coach, Coach MJ, MJ on the Real Mission Impossible show. Hi, this is Coach MJ. I'm from the Mission Impossible podcast. And my guest today is a leadership thought leader here in the United States, none other than Lauren Schiefer. She's known as the Colonel's daughter and she's a well-known keynote advocate for leadership across the country. It's my great honor and pleasure to welcome my new friend and uh, now obviously one of my mentors in the keynote speaking field, Lauren Schieffer. Welcome and thanks for coming on Mission I'm
0: Thank you, Coach. Thank you for having me. It's my privilege. So
1: so Lauren, to kick this off, uh, leadership is a big topic these days, and we won't get into any politics because at the end of the day, things change, kind of like the weather in Kansas, I'm told.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Yes. But I'd like, because your your trademark is and your branded is, uh, you're well-known as being the Colonel's Daughter, can you give the audience here just a little idea of how that came to be?
0: Oh, absolutely. It came to be organically because... My father was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force, and he is one of the few people, not the only one, few people in the Air Force to receive the DOD medal without ever going into combat or serving at the Pentagon. And it was because of his leadership skills in engineering and his teams designing ordinances for the Air Force and ultimately airplanes. So as... I was growing up and dad would be working on his on the cars or around the house or whatever. I would help him, which normally involved keeping him company and handing him a tool every now and then. And he would talk to me about life. And he imparted so many life lessons to me. I didn't even really understand the wealth, the gift that they were until after he passed. Nowadays, I call them kernels of wisdom, and they are the basis of two of my books and my video blog and and all of that. But also because of who my father was, I had the privilege of sitting at the feet of some other additional, amazing, significant leaders. So I've learned from the very best.
1: It sounds like you have. And many of us, uh, just like you and your father... Took our leadership knowledge or our perspectives from our surroundings. Um, and so many leaders I've met uh, throughout the world, uh, having coached and uh, mentored leadership programs in several countries, they seem to have all uh, been modeling the old Jackie Gleason uh, leadership school, which is kick the trash can, who's in my parking spot, uh, and scare the heck out of the staff. And that's how you let them know who's boss. Fear, fear, fear. Drive that fear. What do you think about that, Laura?
0: Uh, I think that it's a model that might have worked in the 19th and the 20th century. But as we move into the third decade of the 21st century, it's a model that has failed the United States and all over the globe. And it will not move companies, associations, organizations, countries out of any complication they might be in right now in the 21st century.
1: I fully agree. In fact, I believe that if you take care of the people on the inside, they'll take care of your customers on the outside from a business perspective. Mm -hmm. But not not too many of those are 100% on board with that. Tell me, do you believe that leaders are born or can they be made, created, and taught?
0: I believe very strongly they can be created and taught. Leadership is a discipline. Now, are there some people that have natural leadership abilities? Absolutely. Just like there are people who have natural athletic abilities and natural creativity abilities, but any elite athlete will tell you that the natural ability they were born with only got them on their high school team. It was the discipline and the effort that was put in after they recognize they had natural abilities that make them elite athletes. And the very best artists will tell you the same thing. The very best bakers will tell you the same thing. Any natural leadership capability that you have is a leg up, but that's all it is. After that, it's a discipline, an intentional discipline of learning concepts and skills and applying them every day.
1: Yes. I I agree with that too. There are, Definitely, many many examples of people who may have had some leadership uh, tendencies, but got fully developed through training, through through programs, through curriculum, and through the discipline that you're talking about. I'd like to just talk about your childhood and a parallel with mine. I'll I'll be I'll go first. Okay. I grew up in an Irish uh, Catholic family, and I was the oldest of eight boys. Oh my goodness! So we learned leadership really from my mom and my grandfather, who was lieutenant commander of the navy. Uh, he was my way or the highway kind of leadership. So there was no questions. There, there was no HR. You don't go to HR with him. It's like, you know, yes, sir. Uh, and my mom, she would post up all the chores that you had to do that week. And she'd post them on the refrigerator. And the first place I actually, what I was doing is I would give some of the jobs to some of my younger brothers because I knew they knew I could put them in a headlock and later on, I found out that that was uh, actually leadership, and that I was actually delegating. Uh, <laughs> give us a little bit about your childhood leadership experiences. Uh,
0: you could call that delegating. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That that's a that's a fancy term, I, I guess. That's like Tom Sawyer was delegating the the painting of the fence to Huck Finn. Uh,
1: exactly, Samuel Clements. Thank you very much.
0: Um, my leadership growing up, as I said, the and we affectionately refer to him uh, as the colonel, even though he retired as a lieutenant colonel, um, he's still called colonel. The colonel worked very, very hard throughout his life to infuse both of his daughters, no sons. My father was the only son out of 14 children. He had 13 sisters. He married and had two daughters. I think at some point he must've really said, could you just give me a son? But that didn't happen. And so he worked really hard to infuse his daughters with what he believed we needed to know to be healthy, happy, and have a positive impact on the world. And I think perhaps because of, my, because of his size, my father stood six, six and a half and was 285 pounds on his very leanest day. Furthermore, he had a personality that entered the room five minutes before he did. And dad knew that because of his very size, he could lead through intimidation if he chose to, but he chose not to. He wanted people working with him, not for him. And because he knew that he was raising daughters in a patriarchal environment where we would have to work three to four times as hard to get where a man naturally would get, he needed to really sharpen the skills that he was giving us. And, and you believe he was
1: consciously doing that the whole time. Do you believe that that oh, was yeah. really his master plan? He was, it was almost like the, the, the father of the, uh, the, the, t- the tennis sisters, Serena and Venus. Yeah. Williams.
0: Yeah. He had a master I, plan. I, I don't know that, that he consciously said that to himself. But looking back, it was infused in absolutely everything he did and said.
1: That's awesome. And do you think that today when you when you go into organizations and you train their, their leadership or you help sharpen their skills of leadership uh, and you give them much of the wisdom that you've obviously taken the kernels from the kernel, the kernels of wisdom from the kernel and from your own corporate experience, do you believe that empathy is is a a vital commodity today.
0: Empathy is essential. It is absolutely essential. I think a lot of people misunderstand empathy though. Empathy is the ability to recognize what someone else is feeling and acknowledge their right to feel it, whether you agree with it or not. And I think what people um, get confused with a little bit is Empathy does not require that I take on that feeling with them. I don't have to cry with you.
1: It's not like the empath on Star Trek. No. See, and lots
0: of people confuse that. And I I certainly know people who are empaths, natural empaths. And those who who are my consulting clients, and I have a couple, my consulting clients who are natural empaths, and I have... Um, we have worked together to build filters for themselves so that they can build armor for themselves to be effective in the face of someone else's overwhelming emotions. Yes. Because the, to me, the key thing about empathy is acknowledge your, acknowledging your right to feel the way you feel, whether I agree with it or not, without having to take that feeling on myself.
1: Yes. Yeah, I agree. And of course, being in, in the executive roles that I've enjoyed, of course, making every mistake you could possibly make as a young executive all the way through, I've also learned that if you're not in touch with your people, if you're not uh, putting some of their feelings and their needs first, um, saying this is how you need to do it, it is never going to work.
0: No, no. the, the most of, And long before I ever heard the name Simon Sinek, who has branded the concept of the why, I got that from my father. You have to give them the why behind the what. Okay, so every human being on the planet has an invisible sign hanging around their neck. And that sign says, make me feel important. There you go. underneath, Underneath that sign, in itty bitty letters, it says, and what's in it for me? You have to give them the what's in it for them. You have to give them the why behind the what. How's it going to benefit them to buy into your idea? How's it going to benefit them to do things exactly the way you want them done? How's it going to benefit them to improve their performance um, or make the change that you want them to make? Frankly, they don't care how it's going to benefit you. And sometimes they don't even care how it's going to benefit the company. You have to tell them, why it's going to benefit them, what's in it for them. That's a leader's job. You know, in casting a vision, and casting a vision is leadership 101, right? But most people look at casting a vision for this is where the company's going. And when we all get here, won't we have fun? Casting a vision, when you get into significant leadership, it's really about painting a picture For each and every employee individually, what's it going to look like for them when they get there? How's it going to benefit them? What's it going to look like, feel like, smell like, be like when we all work together toward this goal and then achieve it? That's what casting the vision is.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times casting a vision using a higher purpose, whether that team is going to get there because they're going to excel or do this public benefit or this Humanitarian breakthrough, whatever it is, uh, it adds fuel to the fire, and it gives that. I love that little little uh, analogy you did with the sign and the little small letters. What's in it for me? Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. It's salesmanship, leadership. A lot of times, it's salesmanship, Lauren. I mean, uh, my mom's. You know, uh, I think she was one of the greatest uh, leadership mentors I ever had. Imagine, I mean, there was never, never a single moment when I was a child where I the House was quiet, there was always somebody screaming or yelling, and she had to be putting out fires all the time. And she had to not just do that, but she had to micromanage and she had to multitask. And she had to I win you over and give you a why. Why I me?
0: can't even imagine, I, I can't even
1: no, no, imagine me, me that either. level of Listen,
0: chaos.
1: She's 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 a saint. I had lunch with her yesterday, she's a saint, and she laughs about it. But I do tell her in, in my own leadership. Confession. Uh, It's called a leadership book, but actually, it's a confession of all the mistakes I made as a leader. I give her the credit because I said, you know, there's, there's no better mentor I ever had than growing up in a in a community like that and having such a mentor. And and yet, here we have in our modern day, we have companies who are not looking for the the right type of leadership examples. They they don't understand how important leadership is. I know one of the downfalls of one of my own companies was I just assumed that everybody thought I was the role model and therefore they would just follow me and follow my exemplary leadership. And when I went out of the country and went to another country and set up another office, everybody would do the same. I was drinking my own Kool Aid. <laughs> and I wasn't, as a lot of companies will find out, I wasn't creating a model of leadership that would be easy and, 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 copyable, duplicatable for our other managers, directors to follow. Have you run into this problem in some of the coaching and training that you've done?
0: Absolutely. And, and I see two challenges, two reasons behind that situation. First off, because while you were the leader, those who are working for you are excelling as individual contributors. Well, when someone who excels as an individual contributor is promoted to leadership, those skills that they excelled at, which got them noticed and maybe got them the promotion, are not the skills they need to lead. It's a completely different skill set. And so often they are left with this with this brand new title and this brand new desk and this brand new office and no clue what to do with it. Because no one has given them any, any indication on how you make that shift from being recognized for your own individual contributions to then leading others in their individual contributions. You stop doing the work and start guiding others in doing the work. That's that's one thing. And the other is that if you are not building others up with the vision of them potentially taking a leadership role at some point, then you may think you're leading by example, but no one is watching. So in leading by example and working for your replacement, we have to give them tasks and let them struggle with them a little bit. Let them grow those muscles. We need to give them the right tasks. We need to delegate the right things to them. We need to be available for them to kick ideas around with, but not give them the answers. We what need- would
1: you do if I wasn't here, for example?
0: Exactly, exactly. We need to, um, we need to be a safety net. We are always a safety net. Most imp- Leaders' most important job is to be a safety net and to let their team know, I got your back. But we also need to let them struggle a little bit to grow their leadership muscles and and to make decisions, good, bad, or indifferent. The colonel used to say there there are only two kinds of decisions: good decisions and lessons learned.
1: Yeah, so I like lo- I like to dig into that because there's different ways that someone like yourself, who is an expert in helping companies develop their leadership programs and developmental skills, you can go into a Fortune 500 company that has 10,000 employees, and that's one set of skills that you would have to teach versus uh, mentoring a startup versus mm-hmm. a small to medium sized enterprise, which has been growing for three years, sees another five years of solid growth, wants to expand exponentially. And of course, we'll need new leaders and doesn't have the personnel to be able to take over those leadership roles. So they'll need to import people who were not in the original tribe of that startup. Um, That's my sweet spot. That yeah, and 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 probably that was one of my downfalls because I ran out of brothers. You know, once I once I ran out of brothers and I opened up 16 offices in eight countries around the world, um, I had to bring in other people that I didn't know. And then I'd come back six months later and I said, Hey, didn't we have a so-and-so was working here and so and so I remember so-and-so was really good. Where are they working now? Oh, well, Coach MJ, when you appointed Bob to be the vice president of this region. Well, everybody left that was good. They went across the street to the competitor. They're doing really well, but they're not here because they didn't, like, they didn't like Bob. Bob became a real jerk when you left and when he's handed out his business cards and became really important. His head was this big. Boom.
0: Yeah, which is why um, it's important whenever possible to build from within. Rather than bringing someone in from the outside, who on your team that is already known and trusted, well-liked, and has bought into uh, whatever is the company is doing or selling, um, who on your team do you see as the next level of leader? If you're going to bring people in from the outside, bring them in at the entry level, and grow them. The, I am from Kansas City, and I am a massive Sports, well, I grew up in the Air Force. I'm not from anywhere. I currently live in Kansas City. Well, um, as a
1: military brat, just to clear it up, you, you were everywhere, ab- correct?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I currently live in Kansas City, and I am a massive sports fan. Um, obviously, in the fall, there's nothing but Chiefs in my head. And now we're in baseball season. And, and the Royals, boy, I love my boys in blue. I really do. Sometimes they make it very difficult for me to love them. And, but one of the things that uh, Dayton Moore and the owners of the Kansas City uh, Chiefs have done, do really, really well, is they build a family in their FARB team and they bring that family up together so that when they all hit the majors at the same time, they know each other, they trust each other, they follow each other's lead, they love each other, and they work together when we um, were in the world series back to back in 14 and 15, all that amazing group of, of guys who are all now playing for other teams, but at the time they had all come through the Kansas city farm team together. And now, although we're struggling this year, we see a farm team that started several years ago, all coming to the majors at the same time. It's the same thing with your business. Okay. You've got a farm team. So if you're going to bring somebody in, you're going to raise up the farm team. That's your new leadership and bring people in to fill the B squad from the back end. That's the strongest way to keep your people.
1: Totally get it. And of course, there's another myth about uh, leadership don't need to have leaders don't need to have titles. Uh, One of the, one of the offices I'll I'll just speak about that I'm, had was I went into the office and into that country and I asked a question and they said oh I don't know but you can ask so-and-so over here who I'd never met and I asked another question later on in the day oh you know what the best person to ask about that is the same person you asked this morning which is so-and-so because she knows everything and pretty soon about four questions during the day were all coming from her and I found out that everybody goes to her for information she's not a leader she has a a menial job, but yet she had the the trust uh, with all of the staff members. And apparently um, everyone looked up to her for that uh, leadership. She had no title and yet there, there was, she was the number one leader in that office. Um, How do you, how do you define that? How do you explain
0: that? You know, in the, in the nineties, early aughts, the concept of self-directed work teams was really, really popular. The only challenge with self-directed work teams is that they don't work. Someone always rises to a leadership role, even without the title. It's the people. It's Someone is is the one that everyone goes to to answer the questions. Someone is the repository of knowledge. Someone is the um, shoulder that everyone cries on. Someone rises to the top. They just don't get the title. And if And if other people on the team don't feel comfortable playing at an even level with uh, everyone else, nothing gets done on that team. I am not an advocate of the um, 20th century generic hierarchical leadership. I'm I'm not. Because I said so doesn't fly in the 21st century. But I'm also not an advocate for self-directed work teams. I do believe that there needs to be a leader in every situation.
1: Sure. And even yeah, if no one is
0: given the title, somebody rises to the top. Somebody, yeah, somebody rises drives, to the challenge. No, there
1: was a, in that particular office, you're right. I mean, there was that, that particular office, there was a bus driver, but the bus driver had, you know, had been one-upped by this person, backseat driver in the back who was rising. And eventually that person got promoted. Of
0: yeah, and if you go back to the Jim Collins um, scenario, the right person was not, uh, they may have been on the bus, but they weren't in the right seat.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have evolved and we've also come almost to a conclusion of this. I would just like to thank you for coming on our show today. And I'd also like to ask you to share with our audience how they could reach out to you for any of your leadership programs or how companies could contact you for to be a keynote speaker for one of their conferences or anything else. How, how can we get in touch with Lauren? You, can,
0: you can find me um, at my website which is Lauren laurenschieffer.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-C-H-I-E-F-F-E-R.com. So yes, I'm a killer keynotist. Um, I also do training and uh corporate partnerships. It's what I call um, consulting. Um I also do leadership incubators, which is more like a mastermind. It's a long-term commitment.
1: You know, Lauren, I, I heard about this. It's actually very, very famous. I, can you just tell us a little bit more about that?
0: So um, the leader's table, I have, I have two formats. The leader's table is a three-hour intensive. That's the first step with me. Mm-hmm. You step into a, a three-hour, I do them four times a year, where I cover the nine essentials of significant leadership. Right, right. Next one is um, uh, June 11th, and I do have seats available for that one. Once we've gone through that together, then I, I might invite you to the leadership incubators. And my incubators are, we meet twice a month with uh, everyone else in the incubator for one hour. And it's just ongoing leadership mentoring. There's not a set curriculum because when you have a set curriculum, the implication is that when you're done with the curriculum, I hand you a certificate, congratulations, you're a leader. That's not the way leadership works. Right. It's an ongoing discipline. So uh, I to join my incubators, I ask for a 12-month commitment um, at minimum, and then you can renew it um, if you choose. I haven't had anybody step out at 12 months. Yeah. Uh, so uh, both of those programs are on my website, and anyone can reach out to me with questions. The email is Lauren at Lauren Schieffer.com.
1: Got it, okay. Lauren Schieffer, it's been a real pleasure and honor to meet the Colonel's daughter and to have you on Mission Impossible today. Uh, there's a just, a just a ton of information that we could get from you. I'm sure there are more nuggets and colonels that we could get out. Love to have you back another time on our Leaders Incubator on this show. And until then, I send you a big salute and keep, and keep leading. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Like, share, and subscribe. Follow our podcast on Podbean, Google Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Links are in the description below. Thank you.